Welcome to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, and Total Beverage, both in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Derez. With me, of course, Arif Dean, Patrick Stedman, editing us, making us sound good, and uh, putting us all together. Arif, tonight's a night without hockey. Of course, you and I are going to make it a night with hockey by recording this podcast because that's just what we do. We use every opportunity to bring more content to the people. So here we are. Let's talk some all-star break. Let's talk some February avalanche schedule so far. And that's what kind of stinks. You look at the month of February, only one game and just as many losses as they had in January. So, Arif, let's start with that. How does that make you feel? What do you What do you think about the equal losses so far already in the two months? I don't think we'll ever see January again. I mean, it's a little bit crazy, but, I mean, if you ask me, I, I don't really do a lot of drugs, but if I did, I would want the Avalanche to get back to winning because winning feels like a drug, and you want to just keep doing it over and over again. You know what I mean? Like, it makes you itch <laughs> for that drug. It's addicting. It's like nicotine and crack winning is. <laughs> okay, so we we, we got to address it. I, I had to go there because I had to make a joke of it because uh, I have had people tweet me. I have had people DM me. I have had people text me. And the same question that all of these people have asked is, did Gabe really say that? And yes, he did. So for starters, yes, he did. Um, but also, let's maybe chill out a little bit. I don't think Gabe means he's snorting lines off of Kel McCarr's bicep <laughs> on the bench between plays. Uh, I don't think Gabe means he's doing a bunch of drugs on the side. Uh, I think Gabe was just saying a very normal saying. I don't do a lot of drugs, but if I did, you know, kind of like, I mean, I don't drink, but if I did, like he does do drugs. He's taken, I don't know, give me an over-the-counter drug that you've taken. Ambien, I'm Advil. sure, knowing the it's NHL. It's just go a little simpler. Advil, Tylenol, 500 milligrams, ibuprofen. I'm sure Percocet's been there, thrown in there a few times considering the way he Yeah, plays. exactly. So let's let's just ease up on the Gabe Landeskog drug comment as if he's out here, you know, snorting lines of cocaine or whatever. The, I don't even know if cocaine's considered a drug because I'm such an idiot with this stuff. I don't know anything about it. But <laughs> let's just chill out a little bit. It was it was a funny quote and I liked it. I really love, I got to comment on this because I really love Gabe Landeskog this year with the media because he's developed this no shits given mentality with his quotes where he says whatever is on his mind, but he's very candid, open and honest. Like, he's not going to half-ass it with us. That's an interesting point, because I was going to make that point as well, especially after the last press conference that we saw after the loss to Arizona. And I've noticed that all year long, not just from Gabe, but from all the players. It really seems like they have that chip on their shoulder. There's a little bit of nastiness to them this year, right? And there's, you know, we're not here to make friends with anybody. We're not here to do anything but win, win, win. And, you know... I, I, I don't know how I feel about it 100% as a media member, and it's a little bit directed at us, but, you know, watching the team, I really enjoy that energy because, again, it's obvious that there's a goal at hand, they're focused, and they're not letting anything get in between them and that goal. There's a, a nastiness to them. I think that maybe be a that might be a product of Tyson Berry not being around anymore, <laughs> but how fun and, you know, smiley he was and making everybody in a good We mood. don't want to have but fun no. in the Avalanche locker room anymore. We're here to win, and that's all. When Sam Gerard yeah. screams, kill McCarr, we tell him to sit the fuck down and shut up and <laughs> stop with the jokes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, I, for one, as a media member, even though it's aimed at us, I love it because we sit here and we say players are boring and they say the same boring things all the time, which... There's quite a few guys on the abs that are just not a good interview, especially in a press conference setting. I would assume face-to-face, 
more privately, they're a little bit better. Um, but I, you know, I obviously don't know that about guys like maybe Burakovsky or Gerard or a lot of these guys that we haven't had much of a chance to talk to uh, because COVID was so short, you know, in that first season that Burakovsky was around. Um, but what I love about what they're doing this year is, again, like you said, they do have this nastiness, this edge to them. I mean, Gabe Landeskog, let's just use him as an example. Earlier in the year, we talked about it on the podcast. I don't even remember what it was about, but I asked him about a replay of something and he directed it back at me and looked at me straight through my soul and was like, well, what did you think about it? And kind of put me on the spot. Well, he did the same thing to Peter Baugh the other day. And, you know, he kind of, he, you can tell he was in that same mood, but Peter Baugh is just a, you know, he's just a charming guy that like, you can't be mad at Peter Baugh. Like, I forget what, what he asked. Oh, the five on three. He said, um, you guys didn't score on a five on three. You also didn't against Boston. That's, you know, or whoever it was the last time. Uh, that's two straight five on threes you haven't scored on. What do you think is going wrong? And Gabe looked right at him and said, well, are, do you want to talk about the two we didn't score on? Or do you want to talk about the four that we scored on before that? And Peter kind of like laughed it off. I was like, yeah, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. So right away, Gabe, like the tension was gone because Peter's just, he's not going to sit there and like direct back at you. So Gabe does have that chip on his shoulder this year. He's going to come back at the media. He's going to come back at other players. He cracked Kirby doc opening night. Uh, who did he recently fight? There was a fight recently that he had. Um, he's always playing with that chip. It goes back to the playoffs when he hit Braden Shen against the blues and kind of set the tone for that series. Uh, he fought, sorry, he fought Braden Shen. And then I think in game two, he leveled Ryan O'Reilly behind the net. Like, He's just got that extra oomph to him the last 12 months and especially this season. And I'm here for it. He's he's going to come out and say the exact same thing. He was talking about the Arizona game yesterday. Another moment of like, wait, did he just say that was when he was talking about Arizona making the comeback. And he was like, yeah, we kind of let him ha come back and have this shitty goal at the end to send it to overtime. And we're just like, I love this version of Gabe. Like, I'm so here for it all the time. And then obviously he makes the drug comment like he's not an idiot. This is a $7 million player that signed long term. He's a captain of an NHL team that speaks after every loss because that's what he does. He's classy. He's not stupid to the fact that if he says something like that about drugs, people are going to blow it out of proportion. He just doesn't give a shit. And I am so here for it. Yeah, definitely an all business energy coming out of him for sure. I think part of that has to do with the contract he signed over the offseason, right? He's like, hey, I'm here for eight years. I can kind of say whatever I want because I'm not going anywhere. I'm uh, not fucking leaving, <laughs> as he posted on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that was interesting to see. And again, just a little bit edge to not only Gabe. Gabe's definitely wearing most of that edge, but it's, it's feeding through the rest of the locker room. So, um, again, I like the energy. I like to see where that takes them the rest of the year and how that kind of evolves into a playoff attitude if it eventually does. Um, but yeah, I, I was even a little bit of a victim of their sourness that night, right? I was asking them a question <laughs> about Scott Wedgwood and, you know, he was approaching the, the shootouts and squaring up to the shooter off the post rather than the center of the net. And they, they both were like, what are you talking about? I didn't see that. But hey, maybe if they did see it, they might have scored one in that <laughs> shootout. But no, um, I, I'm playing around. Of course, I, I think Gabe Landeskog, he kind of attacked that strong side. The the one, you know, Miko and Kadri kind of went the same direction, and they went towards that side that Wedgwood was on the opposite side of the net of, where Landeskog, he hit the post, and he's the one that attacked the shorter side there. So maybe there was something to that. That's kind of all I was seeing, all I was trying to get at, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Let's get to the loss against Arizona, which is funny because in the podcast we recorded Sunday, you jokingly said, ah, Arizona's going to be the one to uh, blow it for them, right? And I, I laughed it off, but at the same time, you got to remember, 
Arizona is a team that is desperate to save face right now, right? They don't want to be the laughing stock of the NHL. They've already been the laughing stock of the NHL for the last decade or so. So there's a lot of heart, I think, in that locker room to kind of fight every game tooth and nail and try to pull out victories where they can because you've seen them pull out victories across the league a lot like buffalo a lot like detroit a lot like ottawa you see them really dig deep and beat good teams often right so i I think that's that that says a lot about the heart and character of arizona but also says a lot about the nhl and just um you know the way every team the parody in it right every team can beat anybody on a given night so it's stunk to see it's stunk to uh, head into the all-star break with a loss but at the same time, you know, what a streak it was. Let's be thankful for what we got to see there in January. It was going to end eventually. Just uh, a little bit tough to swallow. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the best way to put it. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You covered the Avalanche during the 12-13 season, right? Well, the 13th season because it was a short and lockout year. Uh, 14 was my first year. Okay, so it, that was right before you started. So the 2013 season, that lockout shortened season, the Blackhawks started the year 24-0-2. and Remember that crazy-ass run they went on to start the year in January? Mm -hmm. Who ended that streak? It was the Avalanche. The last place Avalanche beat the Chicago Blackhawks 6-1. to Ryan O'Reilly Varley saved 50 50 shots? No, 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 no. That was a different game. This was a game where the Avalanche dominated every aspect of the game. They chased Corey Crawford. They gave the Blackhawks their first regulation loss in 20 friggin' seven games. And this was when the Avalanche had a five-man unit of forwards on the power play. I don't know why I remember that so distinctly. It was Hey Duke, uh, Parento, O'Reilly, Duchesne, and I'm missing one. Landeskog, obviously, the captain. Those five guys were the five-man power play unit. Ryan O'Reilly scored his first goal that game because he had obviously missed the first part of the season because he was playing in the KHL during the whole contract saga. Um, But yeah, the last place Avalanche handed the Chicago Blackhawks their first regulation loss in a season where nobody could beat Chicago. They came to Pepsi Center, which is what it was called at the time, and they lost. So it was a victory for the Avalanche. It was their one thing they can celebrate before their second thing, which they got to celebrate, which was winning the draft lottery and getting to take McKinnon over the Florida Panthers because Florida was technically last place that year. So you get where I'm going with this. There's parity in the NHL. Last place can beat first place on any given night, even when it comes to ending a streak like that and Gabe Landeskog said it well I mean on any given night anybody can beat anyone and whenever you were gonna lose it was gonna suck but it was gonna end eventually and it sucks losing sucks we just want to win so I mean obviously the avalanche wanted to win obviously the avalanche uh didn't want the loss and especially going into an all-star break where you're gonna be off for eight days between games um but the most important thing is they had the streak it was a lot of fun and hey it was an overtime loss so they technically still have a streak going it's 15-0-2 in their last 17 games without a regulation loss. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's two different versions of the Arizona Coyotes, right? The team that the Avalanche blow out 7-1 to one, and the team that kind of pushes back and clogs the middle and, and has a tough and, and gives the Avalanche a tough time. And I think we saw the latter of the two that night. But we also saw a different version of Colorado, right? I mean, they're, they're admittingly a little bit tired right now, in need of a break. And uh, just maybe mentally exhausted a little bit there, right? I mean, I think what they go through is a lot. I think there's a lot more than meets the eye when it comes to game preparation and, um, you know, video and strategy and structure. So I think mentally they can use the break more than physically. But either way, we know that this team is tired and this break couldn't have come at a better time. 
Absolutely. I mean, look, as much as they are physically exhausted, and they are physically exhausted, we've heard Jared talk about it when they were in LA and Anaheim a couple weeks ago. We've seen it on the ice. We've seen it, you know, in front of our very eyes. But the mental exhaustion that comes with like, you know, when you're sitting in the crowd, like as a fan, not even like as a media member, but as a fan, when you're sitting in the crowd, and you're invested in the game. And the ads are trailing by a goal and they pull their goalie and then they get that tying goal and just the emotion and how mentally exhausted you are to the point where by the time you leave the game, you're just worn out. And all you did was watch it and have your heart beating out of your chest. You weren't even the guy playing and doing it. And I'm referring to the Boston Bruins game like that literally just happened. That game tying goal. Look at the reaction on Nazem Kadri. Or and look at the reaction on both Nazem Kadri and on Gabriel Landeskog when Kadri makes that pass to Landeskog and he scores. For Kadri, you just see his arms go up and he's just standing there like, oh my God, that just happened. And Gabe, he kind of does this thing where like his head goes back like, holy crap, we tied it. And then they get to overtime, they get the power play, they score, they win. Like it's mentally exhausting. And they did it against Toronto. They had a comeback against Seattle. They were down two to nothing to Anaheim on January 2nd. They needed the goalies to steal games against Minnesota, against Anaheim, against LA. Like they've had a lot going on. It was an exhausting time. They needed that time away. And to be honest with you, I'm glad for Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog's sake that neither of them were the guy replacing Nathan McKinnon in the All-Star game. And and I would assume Miko was asked and said, yeah, no, I need a rest. I need some R&R in my life. So they ended up sending Roman Yossi instead. So these guys needed the break. They're going to get the break. They deserve it. Shootout loss to Arizona where you were leading with 37 seconds left. Throw it in the toilet. I don't care. Nobody should. Well, yeah, that's the part that stung the most, right? Is they were this close. The net was empty. Yeah, but they just did it to Boston. Like, it happens. They did it to Boston. They did it to friggin' like, 10 teams this month coming from behind and winning. Like, it happens. Yeah, and that's what's crazy. You know, a lot of times you you wouldn't think that pulling the goalie is as effective as it is, but I feel like this year more than any, you're seeing it work. Somehow teams, I think, are just, they've got the man advantage down to a science, whether it's five on four, six on five, or even four on three, right? They, They know how to execute that extra little again advantage better than ever i feel yeah they do and and uh man i mean even even when it comes to i mean they they did miss on two five on three opportunities but even when it comes to overtime power plays when you have that four on three advantage you just know they're gonna score it took a little bit longer against boston for kale mccarr to get that game winner but they they have that there is a feeling with this team where when they have a little bit of an upper hand you know they're gonna score And that's a feeling that not a lot of teams have. That's a feeling that not a lot of fan bases have in their teams. And that's a feeling that a lot of the players themselves don't have. But the Avalanche do. Like, they went into that overtime against Boston. Like, you knew they were going to win that game. They went into the overtime against Toronto way, way back in the beginning of January where, again, you knew they were going to win that game. Like, a lot of these games going into it, you're like, yeah, they got this. The Minnesota shootout with Pavel Francouz in net. Like there's a feeling among the team that we got this and it comes with taking advantage of those kind of opportunities, the six on four, the four on threes, the five on fours. Most of the time, the five on threes, like Gabe said, it's 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 a really good feeling to have because it's a mental strength more than it is a skill. And they've got the skill. They just need to believe in it, which they do because they've won a million games already. And it definitely didn't feel like that belief was entirely there in the Arizona Coyotes game, right? Another symptom of the fatigue, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. And when you got to overtime, there was more of a feeling against the Coyotes 
it wasn't a feeling and I know they were the team that gave up the lead this time so it's a little bit different you're not going into overtime with that momentum but still yeah it the momentum shift shift was massive and even though the coyotes are not the better you know are are the weaker team in this case against the avalanche no disrespect but you are uh it kind of was that feeling of like oh god are they really gonna let this streak get away from them and then nichushkin gets that penalty and you're like there it is but they they just barely like killed that penalty and it got to the shootout and you're like i still think they're gonna lose this and they did like it's momentum shifts are huge um but you know what man Again, it goes back to this. They lost to the Nashville Predators way back on December, I want to say 16, before the COVID pause and all those games were postponed. It's February. Thank you. And it's February 3rd right now. You guys are going to be listening to this on February 4th. They haven't had a regulation loss since December 16th. And they're not going to have one until at least February 10, because that's when their next game is. And that's the fun part, right? Despite the loss, it was a shootout loss, so they still get the point. So instead of saying the streak's entirely over, no, there's still a streak that's breathing and alive, and that's the 17-game point streak, which is now the longest in franchise six uh, franchise history, beating the 16 in 2001. Yeah, that was a cup-winning team, and this is a team that's trying to obviously win the cup again, and and. They're, they're giving us every reason to believe that they will be a contender. Obviously, the playoffs is when it matters. That's when you're going to determine if this team has improved from last year. But what we're seeing right now, and I've been talking about it for the last few episodes, what we're seeing right now is historic, and we need to appreciate what this Avalanche team is doing, even though they lost the game to the Coyotes. I don't think anybody with the Blackhawks in 2013, when they won their second cup in three years, I don't think anybody gave a shit about the fact that game 27, the last place, terrible avalanche beat them six to one or six to two or whatever. Nobody cares about that. So nobody will remember this game, obviously, assuming all goes well. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at the standings and they're plus 54 goal differential goal differential and everything else, you know, that's just impressive and putting them heads and shoulders above the rest of the league. I mean... That just says everything right there, right? But let's get into that in a second. First, let's get to DraftKings, Arif. The moment football fans have been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 or more and get 280 in free bets if that team wins. Not a new customer? Bet on Super Bowl 56 props instead. DraftKings Sportsbook offers a wide range of props throughout the big game. So take your shot at winning cash by predicting props like a non-quarterback will throw a pass or a fourth down conversion, total yardage, and so much more. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code MHS, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 or more and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Do you know what's fun about that, Reed, that I noticed last podcast? What's that? Getting to use the words Super Bowl, right? How many times in history have you been watching commercial? It's like, hey, mm. prepare for the big game. Hey, as we're getting ready for the big game. The right. But since DraftKings is a sponsor and the official sports betting partner of the NFL, they get to use this, the word Super Bowl. And I love that. That's fun. Because I, I thought about it last week, right? I kind of panicked. I was like, shoot, was I supposed to say the word Super Bowl? And I thought about it. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. But yeah, let's get into it, Arif. Let's look at the standings. Things are... You know, I wouldn't say 
necessarily exciting for the Colorado Avalanche as they're blowing everybody out with 68 points, 44 games played. I mean, they have games in hand on most teams except Minnesota, really, and uh, Calgary, I guess. But that's the thing. If the playoffs started today, and that's what I wanted to talk about, if everything ended today, the Colorado Avalanche are facing the eight-seed Calgary Flames which could be a little bit of redemption for Calgary, or at least they think so, right? Considering what happened a couple years ago when the Avs were the eight seed, taking out the uh, number one seed Calgary Flames. But there's still a couple teams hovering right around there. So you still got St. Louis, you still got Edmonton in the fight, Dallas, and even San Jose. So let's take a look at that kind of section of the uh, standings and just break I would it say down. Nashville, I would say Nashville's in there too. Well, Nashville's... You think they're going to drop down to to they, the deep wild card spot? The the St. Louis Blues have a 648 points percentage, the National Predators have a 652. They're they're kind of hovering with the Blues, so like any one of them can can drop into wild card in favor of the other. It's just a matter of will they drop to wild card number 2 is is the big question. Because okay, obviously, okay. I mean Minnesota's playing like crazy good hockey right now and the Avalanche are in first. I would say Colorado, Minnesota and one of Nashville or St. Louis will be third. But the other one's going to be a wild card team if they make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I feel you knocking. I'm going to let you in. And if anything, I would say St. Louis is more likely to jump into that uh, yeah, one, two, I three agree. spot, right? So yeah, let's let's count on Nashville dropping down into a wild card. Yeah, I mean the big thing is uh, show me a good show me a good goalie, and I'll show you a good team, or however the hell you say that. I think it's the other way around because <laughs> UC Saros is playing at a Vezina Trophy caliber level. Um, the St. Louis Blues have a little bit of a goaltending issue on their hands because Jordan Binnington seems to be losing the crease to Vili Husso. So Nashville could very well squeak in to that third spot ahead of the Blues or be one of the top three in the Central, I should say, whether it's second or third or even first because St. Louis might be having some goalie issues. So looking at some of the other teams, I want to know what teams do you think would favor a Colorado matchup and what teams that are still in the race do you think the Avs hopefully stay absolutely away from? To be honest with you, there isn't a single team on that list that I think they should stay away from. Because the way that I see it, the the two t- the toughest teams in that Western Conference that are that can measure up to the Avalanche right now are the Minnesota Wild, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the St. Louis Blues when they're clicking, but the St. Louis Blues don't scare the Avs. Whether they scare me or you or any of the fan base, it doesn't matter. They don't scare the Avs. The Avs just swept them. They know they can take them. So other than Minnesota and Vegas, I don't care if the Edmonton Oilers are the ones that end up in that second wildcard spot, which I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and yeah, McDavid is great and Dreisaitl is great, but the Avalanche can you know run, run circles around that defense and that goaltending. Uh, Calgary Flames, they can beat them. Anaheim LA, they can beat them. San Jose, they can beat them. The only, I guess, one that can like sort of exercise demons past would be the Dallas Stars. But I don't think the Avalanche would have an issue with that, you know, right now. So even the Nashville Predators, the Avalanche will be fine considering, you know, even considering the fact that they've lost to them twice this year um, under crazy circumstances, obviously. So long answer. Let's turn it into a short answer. The first round... As long as it's not Minnesota or Vegas, I don't think is going to be an issue for the Avalanche. And I'm not saying Minnesota or Vegas would beat Colorado. I'm just saying that would be like, what the hell? How did we end up in this situation? I appreciate the confidence, but I'm going to realistically say that there's a little bit of fear in my heart from both the Stars and the Blues. I get what you're saying. The 
The Avalanche can easily handle both of them, and they've proven to be able to do so, but Dallas has the recipe, and St. Louis can turn it on at any given moment, right? Sometimes they'll come out and beat a really great team, and sometimes they'll lay an egg. But overall, I think they have the right mindset in that locker room to turn it on during the playoffs and be somebody to, to... you know, put a little bit of terror in some teams. So, um, but I'm with you overall. Yeah. I mean, they play a very similar style of play. Uh, they're both more of a pesky, rugged kind of team that doesn't really have like a crazy all-star. You know, they don't have a Kaprizov, a McDavid, a Johnny Goudreau, anything like that. No disrespect to Joe Pavelski and what he's doing this year. It's it's unbelievable. Tyler Sagan's kind of on the back nine. So is Jamie Benn. Um, hell, their star might be a defenseman, Amiro Heiskanen. But... Number one, the St. Louis Blues. I mean, let's look at the last two years. And in the last two years, the Avalanche have lost to the Dallas Stars and beaten the St. Louis Blues. So they can look to avenge the Dallas Stars, but the Blues can also look to avenge them. But it's just a matter of if you can beat the 2021 Blues, you could have probably beat the 2020 Stars. But at the same time, you needed to go through what you went through in the bubble to set you up for being able to sweep that team in the next round without Nazem Kadri. Obviously, he lost. He was out in the second game, and he wasn't even having that good of a season. So they're a better team now than they were last year, even with the subtraction of Brandon Saad, who scored a ton in the playoffs. So it's really all he did. Basically, yeah. I mean, that's all he did with the Avalanche. I don't remember anything else from him. I just remember Brandon Saad scored a bunch of goals and then left. <laughs> so like that's that was literally his entire avalanche career. So basically where we're getting here is those would probably be the toughest competition. But if you swept one of those guys last year, it sh- still shouldn't bother you. And the Dallas Stars this year are not the Dallas Stars of the bubble. This is a different team. It sure is fun thinking about playoffs already, right? It's crazy, right? I mean, we're it's a, it's a little premature. We're 3 months away. Still a lot half a season away though. Yeah, but November 3rd to today was, what, three months ago? May 3rd is three months from now, and that's around when the playoffs start. So we're, we're, we're right there, man. November 3rd was that, uh, I think, home loss to Columbus. November 4th. I think they played the 2nd and the 4th or the 3rd and the 5th? 3rd and the 6th. 3rd and the 6th. Okay, yeah, so it was that loss. That was around the... Yeah, so that... Time flies, man. The playoffs will be here before we know it. Like, it's, it's the reality. Like, we're going to start... We're going to start the second half of the season, and I use that term loosely, coming out of the All-Star break on February 10. The trade deadline is about 40 days after that, if not 39-ish, or maybe 38 days after that. And then it's the rush to the playoffs, and then it's the playoffs, and then it's the summer. Draft, free agency, everything. Yep, yep. I'm getting excited excited for it, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We got some exciting stuff going on in the All-Star game, right? But Before we get to that, let's take a quick second to mention our friends at Total Beverage because everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? I do. Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? I do. And did you know that they do online wine education classes? I sure did. If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself, or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Big hockey guys out there. I'm sure they're getting ready for the All-Star game. It feels like... There's a little bit more buzz around this All-Star game, right? Obviously, yeah. there's pizzazz when it comes to Las Vegas, and, and people are excited. But I think also the NHL is doing a really good job of making this unique, making it exciting. I'm a little bit um, 
you know, I'm a little bit, I feel sorry for the city that has to host it next year because it's not going to be anywhere as cool as this year's, I feel. I mean, Vegas is a great place to have an all-star game, but I think there's two factors here. It's the fact that it's in Vegas, and it's the fact that it's in Vegas in the first all-star game celebration get-together, whatever you want to call it, coming out of COVID, where people are excited for this kind of stuff. I listened to uh, Chris Johnson talk about it the other day, friend of the show, guest of the show. Habibi um, of the show. Habibi of the show, thank you. He's He's been to a ton of all-star games, and he's covered them, and he always you know, he always would say that those were like his least fun thing to do because it's like, ugh, we got to go cover this boring event. And he's like, this year I'm legitimately excited. Granted, this is someone that lives in Ontario and Toronto where there's a lot of lockdowns again, but... People are excited to go back to this. Players are excited to get together and like mingle and stuff because they haven't done a lot of that. Media is excited to mingle with each other. Fans and players, media and fans, fans and meet. Like it's a whole bunch of people that haven't been able to like sit down and chit chat for nearly 24 months. Like we're coming up on two years since the COVID pause. All get to go to do this again. And it's in Vegas in February. Like it's a great place to be. Yeah, you and I are sitting here in Denver kicking ourselves, saying, why didn't we go to this? It's a great we, weekend. We could have easily done it. We should have planned it. Didn't even think I, about it. I don't I'm know why we plan. didn't. I don't know why we didn't. I know today we were like, yeah, we can kind of do this last second, but we can't get a credential that last second. We ah, we dropped the ball. Mile High ah. Sports, we fucked up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get into some of the fun, right? We get to see K.O. Makar and Nazem Kadri participate in some of the skills competitions. I think that's what everybody's looking forward to most. Probably what everybody looks forward to every year the most because it's the most entertaining. It's not yeah. just boring hockey. I do appreciate the three-on-three. It's a little more entertaining than it used to be. But, um, yeah, let's get into the skills competition. Starting with Nazem Kadri, he gets to play the blackjack game, which... I found very characteristic of him, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of players that were like, let me play that one, let me play that one. But for Nas to be putting up the numbers that he is, I think he got first dibs. Yeah, so you got Nazem Kadri playing it, Austin Matthews, who's another kind of out there personality-wise and materialistic in, in terms of being an NHL player, um, Brady Kachuk, who likes to have fun, and then Joe Pavelski and Steven Stamkos are more like laid back hockey guys. But I think hanging out with those other three is going to bring out a little bit of personality in them. So it's going to be a fun event. It's going to be really cool. And I think for Kadri, like you said, he got the first dibs and he looked and said, listen, man, I'm not doing this fastest skater. I'm not over here to shoot accuracy contests, nor am I going to try to shoot friggin', you know, in the in the Bellagio or what is it? The the, the water, the what yeah, is the it Bellagio called? fountain. Yeah, the Bellagio Fountain. Sorry, I was mixing up a couple things. But in the Bellagio, you can tell I've never been to Vegas, by the way, which is another reason why we really dropped the ball. It could have been my first trip there. But in the Bellagio Fountain, he's like, I'm not going to do this thing. And you're going to just see my puck dip into the water like I'm Happy Gilmore shooting it into the friggin' water and gulf. I'm not here to do any of that. I'm here to play blackjack with pucks. That's what I'm here to do. And uh, my boy Austin Matthews from Toronto better be doing this with me. So I think he did get first dibs. I think he chose that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I will say, given that this is going to be on ESPN, mic the guy up. He is well worth it. We always hear stories from players on flights playing cards, right? And playing different variations of gambling games. You go through the names of the five players participating in this. Again, it's Kadri, Austin Matthews, Brady Kachuk, Joe Pavelski, and Steven Stamkos. 
Those guys strike me as the guy that's always in the back of the plane, always playing cards, always <laughs> trying to rile up the teammates to try to take their money. That's what that whole line. So it's going to be a competitive right? and fun little competition there. Yeah, I can imagine Austin Matthews and Nazem Kadri back when you know he was still in Toronto, sitting there playing blackjack. Like I'm all in, and I'm going to throw a couple hundred thousand dollars in. And Nazem Kadri's like, "Here's my Gucci belt. I'm going to throw that in. Let's go, baby." And then we get a fastest skater. Not the first time we've seen fastest skater in an avalanche player, right? I think uh, Nathan McKinnon did it recently, and even Matt Duchesne did it back Mm -hmm. in the year that he uh, had too much vodka, right? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it'll be fun seeing Kale McCarr. I'm not sure, though. How do you think he fares up against that competition? I know he's a fast skater, but I don't know if he's this fast. He's the only defenseman on the list, so we're going to find out. Uh, And I think he's going to be there. I mean, Nathan McKinnon doesn't take these kind of things seriously, and it's no disrespect or like you know knock on him he's just you know he's very hyper focused on a goal and that goal is winning the cup but you got Chris Kreider there who had a pretty damn good number in 2020 Adrian Kempe who's underratedly fast Kyle Connor same way Kuznetsov he's fast Jordan Kairou young fast guy Dylan Larkin who originally broke the record Connor McDavid who broke that record obviously both of those guys were beat by Matthew Barzell in 2020 but Kel McCarr is the only defenseman We've been hearing about his skating for years. Let's see how he matches up against these guys. And he's a competitive dude. I think he's going to give it his all. And I think he's going to really try hard to win this thing. Yeah, you mentioned something there that I wanted to get into is we've been hearing about his skating for years, right? Most importantly, we hear about how great he is on his edges, right? And we've seen it. He's awesome. Second to none with his edge work. And when I think back about Nathan McKinnon's race, I feel like that was his issue, right? He wasn't tight enough on his edges, and he kind of took the turns a little bit too wide considering his speed, where I think Kale McCarr is going to have more control over that kind of stuff. When he's going at a fast pace, he still has absolute control over his edges. Mm-hmm. He can turn real tight on those cones and uh, you know cut off milliseconds. That's going to be the difference between winning and not winning. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Kale McCarr go in a straight line, get to the blue line, do like a little hip shimmy shake, and then just kind of stay along that blue line, toe the line and fire off wrist shots like he's good at those edges he's good at the turns Nathan McKinnon to me is the kind of guy that if you skated like I don't know blue line to blue line or you know goal line on one end to blue line on the other end he'll smoke anybody just in a straight line skating race a short one right yeah 15 feet Nathan McKinnon beats everybody not necessarily 15 feet it could still be 100 feet but it's just straight line speed and nothing but I just think his best his best attribute is those first couple steps if it's a 10 foot 15 foot race Nathan McKinnon beats everybody in the world that's true He's he's the car that can go from zero to 100 in X seconds, you know, faster than every other car. But the top speed is not necessarily, you know, the best. I get that. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because that's how he beats players, you know, and, and gets these breakaways. It's one, two, three. He's around the defenseman. The guy's like, holy shit, like I have to turn around and chase this guy. Yep. Kel McCarr, like you said, he's got the edge work. He's got that, you know, down pat. I think he's going to give this thing a run, man. I think he's really going to try hard. And we've never seen a defenseman win this thing. So it would be pretty damn cool. And that's just kind of his energy, right? He could totally step into something like this and be like, oh, I'm just here to have fun and then win it. And be like, oops, look at me. I didn't mean to win it, but here I am, Kale McCarr. Everything good yeah. happens to me. He's going to be humble in the media afterward. Like, yeah, you know, I was just there trying to do my thing and, you know, I won. You know, as, as Peter Ball once asked him, remember when he had those two games in a row where he scored two goals? After the first game, Peter asked him a question about his goal scoring. And again, this is like goals three and four on the season. You know, I know he's at like 17 or 18 now. And he said, oh, you know, I'm not going to score two goals every night. 
comes out the very next game, scores two goals again. And I still remember Peter tweeting, Kale, quote, I'm not going to score two goals every night, end quote, just scored his second goal of the game for the second straight game. Like, he's so humble all the time. And you know this guy's going to score a hat trick in the NHL one day. And we're going to ask him, he's going to be like, oh, you know, McKinnon and Ranton and just pass me the puck. I'm not going to score a hat trick every game. And, you know, I probably will never do it again. And then he's going to do it again. He's going to score 30. He's going to score 40. He's just very humble. And and if he wins this thing, he's going to be the same way. Hockey Mountain High, where we read Peter Baugh tweets for 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, he was the only guy that tweeted the I don't do drugs thing. And you and I were sitting there like, why didn't we tweet it? Like, yeah. we, we we did the same thing that a lot of fans did. We took it seriously in the beginning where we're like, it's just a fun little comment. It wasn't that serious. Right. Who would have thought? Or I guess it's pretty obvious that the rest of the NHL world would run away with that one. But you and I sitting there getting the context, it was kind of like, ah, oh, that's not a big deal. We don't need to tweet yeah. that. Um, last question I really wanted to get to was how, you know, we were just talking about how envious we were of being at the All-Star Game. Makes me think, when is the All-Star Game coming back to Denver? I remember 2001 yeah. so vividly. It was so much fun. And that was 21 years ago. Obviously, there's 32 teams. You probably want to give one to everybody. But, man, I think we deserve one here again because, I don't know, I say so. <laughs> North, North America versus world, and I believe it was Joe Sagig and Peter Forsberg off the opening faceoff. Yeah, and the Avalanche had like seven guys in that game. Ray Bork won the uh, accuracy shooting. He did four. I think he was like four of six. As the hardest he shot. Did. Yeah, actually, I got him right here. He was. Uh, yeah, he won though. He won a ton of those. Always going four four, but he went four of six that year. Fastest skater was Minnesota Wild GM who played for the Boston Bruins, Bill Guerin. His thirteen point six nine seconds, by the way, that he won that fastest skater in that's faster than what nathan mckinnon got in 2020 that's how little mckinnon tried like mckinnon's faster than gary come on <laughs> uh puck control relay went to paul korea of the mighty ducks of anaheim three years before he came to the avs hardest shot freddie modine of the Tampa bay lightning goldie competition sean burke phoenix coyotes so yeah that was a long time ago the head coach was joel quinville of the blues assistant was bob hartley obviously rob blake was also there but he was playing for the kings Joe Sackick, Patrick Waugh, Ray Bork, ton of abs. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was shortly after that All-Star game that Ray Rob Blake came to the Avalanche. Yep, 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 yep. That's correct. Man, reading some of these names, it's it's a blast from the Donald Audette of the Atlanta Thrashers, Marty Brodeur, Doug Waite, Jason Allison. That's a cl- classic name. Ed Jovanovsky. And then on the other side, you know, you got Marcus Nasland, Marion Hosa of the Ottawa Senators, Radic Bonk, Matt Sundin, Marcus Ragnarsson, Yanni Ninema, man, that's some old school hockey. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of just reading all these names, so please stop me. And with all the stones that all of us throw at the All-Star game, look at the nostalgia you just felt looking back <laughs> at that one, right? right? So let's all jump into this one, have some fun. Let's, you know, even if All-Star games don't float your boat, let's pretend for a little bit and just be entertained by the product because one day we're going to look back and be like, oh, remember that All-Star game in Vegas had all these names? Kale McCarr won Fastest Skater and Nazem Kadri won the 21. Yeah. I doubt they'll both win, but it'll be fun. You know what I'm saying. Let's, yeah, let's exactly. enjoy it. Let's let's stop Ziggy throwing Palfi. so many stones and have some fun for once and just quit being a bunch of curmudgeons out there in Twitter. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to go back to that 20 uh, or that 2001 All-Star game. I'm looking at the starting lineup. See, I went down the rabbit hole. You didn't stop me. You should have had Sorry. me close the link I was looking at. <laughs> so, the starting lineup for the World Roster. Nick Lidstrom of the Red Wings, Sandus Ogilvie of the Hurricanes, Pavel Bure of the Panthers. Forsberg and Hayduke of the Avs, and then Dominic Hasek of the Sabres. So what you got on that side is Hayduke, Forsberg, 
and former Av Ozilinch. So three guys that played for the Avalanche at some point in their prime. Now you go to the North American side. The starters were six Canadians. Rob Blake, Paul Correa, Theo Fleury, Joe Sackick, Patrick Waugh, Ray Bork. All six of those guys played for the Avalanche at some point and in their prime. Even though three of them in that year were not Avalanche guys, they all played for the Avs. Theo Fleury was a trade deadline pickup, and he did damn good in that year. I believe it was 99 or 2000. No, 99. Paul Correa obviously joined them in 04. Rob Blake a couple months later. And then Sackick, Bork, and Waugh were the Avalanche representatives. So there was a ton of Avalanche representation. And the head coach, Joel Quinville, who you know is not someone that we really want to applaud on the podcast in today's world, given the, the, the history with the Blackhawks, but... He was the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, later became the head coach of the Avalanche, and Bob Hartley was the assistant coach, obviously, at the time, the head coach of the Avalanche. So what you're saying to me is that there might be some guys floating around this All-Star game (laughs) that at one point or another might end up in an Avalanche sweater. Well, you know, with the loss of Nathan McKinnon, the Central Division captain playing for Jared Bednar's team is one Joe Pavelski. And without Alex Ovechkin, who has COVID, and I do that with air quotes, <laughs> the it, new captain coach, of I that... I wake up this morning and I feel short of breath. I don't think I could play All-Star. <laughs> you know, it's just full of shit. He's like, I always used to get one game suspensions for... I can't do the Russian accent like you can. I always used to get one game suspensions for this, but now I'm just going to play the COVID card. What the hell are they going to say? No, you don't. Right. Yeah, exactly. He knew, so, he knew he was doing this since last yeah. All-Star game. And he waited until the very last game before the All-Star game. He's like, yeah, I need to quarantine for five days. I missed this game and and the skills. Oh, bummer. I really wanted to play Blackjack with Matthews and Kadri. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. But uh, yeah, I can't go. So without him there, Claude Giroux is going to be the captain of the Metropolitan Division. So uh, it's a couple of foreshadowing, foreshadowing a couple of guys that I've spoken about in the past. Claude Drew is a trade deadline acquisition. And Joe Pavelski is a guy the Avalanche signed when Kadri walks to sign for a million dollars or a billion dollars, I should say, thanks to Darren Ferris. So <laughs> looks like a couple of those guys might be Avalanche players real soon, in my opinion. Man, I hope a team doesn't pay Kadri a billion dollars. That's really going to set the bar high for other players. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like, well, he had one good season i've had four of them can i have like at least a half a billion please maybe that was a fun little conversation i, I like thinking about those things right because like i was saying how fun you how much fun you were having looking back at the 01 all-star game and then eventually drawing the parallels of who became an av and who we might one day look back at this all-star game and be like oh yeah that was right before he came an av or he became an av a season or two later that's just fun to think about what what the someone, future holds yeah, for us someone in 20 years is going to look at this roster from this year's all-star game and think the same thing man remember the avalanche and their in their uh prime years when Nazem Kadri was there and then they later acquired Claude Drew similar to what we just said about Rob Blake and you know all these cool things not knowing that this is the second run of the avalanche being a great team because they've done it once before the glory years Right. That podcast will think they're the go-to avalanche podcast, not knowing that there was already a go-to avalanche podcast. 2021, and it's been around, and it will be around. Hell, we'll be around in 20 years. You're like, no, sign me up for that. I will be around in 20 years talking to myself. Hockey's for everyone, and we out ya. ya. (laughs) Um, Well, on that note, that was a fun conversation. We have to take it a little bit sour, I guess, and kind of end the podcast on a negative note but at the same time we don't want people thinking we're tone deaf here to what's going on in chicago so i guess just quickly let's wrap up the podcast with your short thoughts on uh that whole 
debacle that's going on there. Yeah, and, and I don't want to just talk about it because I don't want people to think that I'm ignoring it. I want to talk about it because it's worth talking about. It's why we you know don't say hockey is for everyone at the end of our podcast anymore. But man, Rocky works. Drop the ball. I, I, I mean, if you haven't seen it already, look up Mark Lazarus for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's a reporter at The Athletic. Um, and I forget the other gentleman's name, something Thompson, who was for the Chicago Tribune, who also, you know, got berated by the owner of the Blackhawks. And I need to go out of my way to applaud both of those guys and Mark Lazarus, who had to deal with it first. Because if that was me, I would not have handled it that way. I would not have had the patience that they had in that situation when all they did was their job. Like we're sitting here joking around about Gabe Landeskog going, oh, what do you think? And is talking into your soul. Gabe Landeskog didn't disrespect me. Put me on the spot a little bit. It was fun. It was cool. It was entertaining. But for a billionaire to do that and kind of play the I'm this rich, privileged man that's never been told no, that's never been told what to do, and I can throw money at anything kind of mantra that he's mantra that he's got going on. Uh, it was nice to see Mark Lazarus and the other gentlemen hold their own when dealing with something like that. Um, the Blackhawks dropped the ball. It was just any bit of like any any little bit of trust that anybody has gained in the Blackhawks since the Kyle Beach situation came to light, since they let go of Stan Bowman and we saw Joel Quenville lose his job in Florida while they were an undefeated team and they got rid of uh, John McDonough and all these other guys, any little bit of trust that they had gained from that was pretty much thrown out the window yesterday because of what the owner of the Blackhawks did. And um, it's bullcrap. It's stupid. And by the time you guys are listening to this, you'll probably have already seen quotes or heard from him. But now we just spent this long time talking about the All-Star game and how fun it is to be going back to Vegas. When Gary Bettman speaks to media early on Friday, which again, he probably has already done it by the time you've listened to this, nobody's going to talk about this fun All-Star game and Nazem Kadri and Austin Matthews playing blackjack and all the fun around all the new captains and people being excited to be in Vegas. The only thing he's probably going to answer for, and the main topic is going to be one of your owners just pulled what he pulled, and that that sucks. Right. I mean, I understand his point of wanting to move forward, and you know, the healing begins when you kind of put it behind you and start making, I guess, changes to the ultimate end that you're looking for, right? But that's exactly what the question was about. What changes are you making? What are you doing differently to help the the players? The, I think the word was empower the players that, mm -hmm. that might fall in this situation again, right? So very mindless of him to forget the, the gravity of the situation. This was a huge deal. And to just kind of play it off like it's something that you can push aside that quickly and just move on from was a little dumb. But I, I do understand how he's trying to just put it behind him. But you can't. You can. You absolutely can. I mean, this is like this just happened two, three months ago. This isn't something that happened three, four years ago. We're like, OK, can we stop going back to that? And even at that point, like people have a right. But you're the Chicago Blackhawks. You have players like Alex DeBrinkett on your team, who was born in 1997. You have Brandon Hagel, who's a bigger piece now, who's born in 1998. Caleb Jones was born in 97. You got all these young guys. You have a whole bunch of draft picks. You have a whole bunch of guys that are going to get drafted by them here in the next coming years. The parents of those players that might get drafted this upcoming year saw that video yesterday. And every single one of them probably thought the same thing. 
I don't want my teenage son getting drafted to this guy's team, knowing what we know about what happened with Kyle Beach and knowing that this guy still won't address it in a respectful and adult manner. So it's just, it sets the franchise back. It's so stupid. Like it wasn't even digging up the past. It was more of what have you learned from the past and what are you going to put toward the future from what you learned? And it was just, again, it was, it was an entitled rich man. Let's let's say it like it is. It was an entitled rich white man that's never been told no, that's been able to throw money at everything that he's ever done. And he tried to do it again and it blew up in his face. And then he had his, you know, soft PR apology published on Twitter later that night, probably written by some intern somewhere that works for the Blackhawks. And it's just it's a terrible, shameful look. And now Gary Bettman has to address it instead of addressing the excitement that is the All-Star game. Yeah, nothing worse than lame-ass PR apologies, right? I think we just saw one today from They're the just... Denver Broncos and the the racism, racism accusations and, there. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too, when we were just joking about the uh, the podcast in 20 years, how uh, you know I'm sure they're still going to be talking about issues like this one and, and more racist things coming up. As much as we like to think there's change, there's still a lot of uh, people that are behind the times. So, yep, I guess we just got to deal with those kind of people, and that's part of life. But yeah, that that I mean, it is what it is, and uh, hopefully we can see a little bit of progress. I mean, it's it's still going way slower than ever before, but hopefully we can see some progress. But you know what? The one thing that I want to end this podcast with, just to bring it back to a brighter side, is let's watch this All Star Skills competition. Let's watch ESPN. Let's have a little bit of fun with it. This stuff sucks, but it's it's just it's hard to talk about all the time. Exactly. So on that note. Let's get into the weekend. Let's get into all-star break. Have a little break ourselves, right? We can chill out from the anxiety that those last-minute goals give us and all, all the, I guess, again, the, the, everything that the streak brought to us emotionally, right? There's a lot of ups, a lot of downs, more ups than anything. But, um, yeah, let's just take this weekend, enjoy hockey for what it is, and, and just be entertained by it because it's going to be a really entertaining all-star game. So, that being said, thanks for hanging out with us on our quick hit episode here midweek. Wasn't as quick as we expected, but hey, what else is new? Either way, we appreciate you for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make coffee for everyone. And we out you.